Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in the Creative Industries. I am Eric Ravaglia, your one-man band. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, I am with interior designer Karim McGinn. Kari runs her own studio called Kari Susan Interiors here in Edinburgh, and she is an Airbnb super host. She owns and manages one of the best properties in Edinburgh, according to Airbnb. In this episode, we go through Kari's experiences from when she left America and traveled around the world until she settled here in Scotland. Traveling around the world gave Kari the perspective she needed to make the right decisions for her and her future. I really hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoy making it. And without any further ado, let's do this. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. How are you getting on? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I am very good. Excellent. Just want to double check with you, right? So your studio is Kari Susan Interiors. Exactly. And you are Kari McGinn. Exactly, yes. Okay, good. After that's out of the way. Phone, shut up. <laughs> okay. Have you had a chance to listen to the other podcasts by any chance? Well, I listened to Yasmin's, but I haven't listened to anything else. Okay, good. So you, I'm, I'm fresh. You're I'm, fresh? Uh, yeah, I'm just, there's no structure. It's just, it's well, going. Well, there is, <laughs> <laughs> from your point of view, yes. Well, no, actually, from my point of view, there is no structure as well. Welcome to the No Structure Podcast. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to just dive in then. Yeah, go and for it. I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to ask you straight away mm-hmm. your origin story. Ah, my origin story. Your origin story, it's usually either the reason why you started doing what you're doing now mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. reason why you started, you, you decided to have a career in the creative industries or mm-hmm. what happened in your life that kind of like led you, led you, lead you, leaded you, led you, led you to where you are now. Okay, cool. And how long do we have for that so I know where to yeah, start? As long, <laughs> as long as you need until we get kicked out, which is exactly in two hours. So. <laughs> oh my God. And my origin story for two hours. No, yeah. that's fine. Right, yeah. So, discuss. Well, my origin story. Um, well, that's quite interesting. I suppose a good place to start with that is when I moved to Scotland. Edinburgh which is you can't cut off half of your life though I mean you're from Missouri well yes but oh wow okay so really go deep well go deep yeah like (laughs) do you know like I have like my knowledge of Missouri as the knowledge of everybody that never been there so through Ah, movies and especially let's let's get into this especially through Ozark Oh God, the have Ozarks. Have, the Ozarks. Have you ever watched this show on Netflix? No. Oh boy. Kari. Yeah. I know you're not you, you're not you're not into TV that much, but there's this TV show called Ozark, which takes place in, in the, the Ozarks. Ozarks, and is really good fun, really really good. It's, it's a scary place. Why is it a scary place? Well, it's it's a very backwards place. Well, maybe that's why it takes place in the Ozarks. <laughs> it would remind me of Fargo or someplace like that yeah yeah it's it's just it's a bit it's a bit country it's a bit backwards it's a bit scary okay why but I um for what I know of it it's got a lot of sort of rivers and lakes lakes and loads of lakes forests and a little bit of hunting a little bit of people living in cabins and seclusion that maybe could do with a little socializing. 
Well, stuff that happens in the future is quite crazy. Yeah, Netflix I can imagine. Netflix. It's all about money laundering. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And but this, this, I, I don't want to spoil it. If you have time, I should. Watch it. I should. Yeah. But like, Missouri is a big place, though. All in all, yes. there's lots of yeah. So the Ozarks are, funny enough, growing up, I do have a memory of the Ozarks when people would say, "We're going to go to the Lake of the Ozarks for the weekend." So you would go with family or groups and you would stay in a cabin type thing and you would get speed boats out and you would do a little water skiing on the back of the ski boats and you would drink uh, beer from tin cans and I think the brand at the time was Hams. Like Hams? Heard Hams. Never beer. heard of Hams. Yeah, it didn't have the revival that Paps Blue Ribbon did but it was one of the two back then. In was the, it? In the 70s and 80s, yeah. But um, wow. that's pretty much it. Redneck, pretty redneck, all of it, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And like, where would you position in all this? Like, how far are you from the Ozarks? Yeah. So, a few hours, I suppose. So, St. Yeah. Louis is four hours south of Chicago, yeah. um, four hours east of Kansas City. Um, but it sits on the Mississippi River, so it does have a bit of history and culture that is a little bit more exciting um, than most people and well of course the arch the uh, the gateway to the west so it does have its monuments it has its time um, but growing up in st. Louis mm -hmm. um, I definitely had a passion for art even in a young age and started drawing a lot in high school um, but I went to a all-girls private Catholic <gasps> school oh dear and so um, the most exciting uh, assignments for drawing were like doves on the Sunday church brochures. <laughs> could, so, you draw, could you draw some doves, please? Thank you. Oh, I drew a brilliant dove back in the day over and over again. Um, <laughs> there, was, there was a bit of music, but of course that was singing for the church. And uh, it didn't get much more creative than that. So when I left high school, I knew immediately I just needed to get into a zone that was creative. So when I applied to go to colleges, I actually went to the University of Kansas for two years. Um, and that was just to get outside of my state, <laughs> but not so far that I, I couldn't afford it. So you were still in the state, but... Well, Kansas City is quite interesting because it's a city that is half in Missouri and half in Kansas. So wow. the okay. university is in Lawrence, Kansas. So that's just a bit south. So I was actually in Kansas. I had officially left the state of Missouri. So just by it, a few miles. But a few left. miles. At 18 years old, it was, it was quite the adventure. Um, but uh, when I went to, I mean, the University of Kansas had a great reputation for um, the art department, the art side of, of the university. Okay. So I just got stuck in. I did every single course in everything that was offered that was that was creative so obviously everything from jewelry to ceramics to photography to absolutely anything That's singing really cool. singing never went down good music instruments nothing went down well but um, did you try anyway oh, of course i did yeah <laughs> Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> but it was very obvious when it was uh when it was not my thing to pursue um but to be fair what happened is i actually Going into my third year of university, um, I was focused actually on what was called commercial art at the time, which is essentially graphic design. That's and very interesting. So it was yeah. it was not known as a graphic design. No, no, it was it was commercial art, and it was 
illustration, basically, um, yeah. and there wasn't much computer work going on at all. Um, and amazing, called commercial, commercial art. Commercial art, that makes yeah. sense. That's and what in, it is. In, in fact, my dad was working in commercial art, as it were. And I thought, well, this is, I mean, I'm drawing. Uh, this is what I'm going to do. And I absolutely 100% hold my hands up. I half-assed the most important assignment that was going to get me through to the very few places mm -hmm. on, on the course that would allow me to continue <coughs> and graduate from that school. Um, and I mean, I handed it in with the confidence and the arrogance of any 18 or 19 year old should have, uh, maybe at 19, 20 at the time, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, oh, and they just saw right through it. It was just like, you did this last night. I was like, oh, damn, yeah, okay. So I left there. Mm -hmm. I went back to my parents' house. I didn't know what to do for so six months. Did, did they not let you in? Did they, did they not? No, well, no, I didn't pass. So that was it. I could have, I could have taken another year and tried again. And I just thought, you know what, I'm not sure. And it's that funny point in university where, especially if you go straight from high school and you're just still in education, you know, you're 20. And I just, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I took a step back and through various friends, I found out about a school in Chicago. It was called Columbia, um, Columbia College. And they had a great photography department. And I had really taken to photography as part of the 101 things I was trying out. Mm -hmm. So I just took a step back, rerouted, and then six months later went off to Columbia. And I stayed and graduated from Columbia, and I did uh, I did what was sort of a, a, a major in photography mm -hmm. uh, and a minor in painting. So I just focused in, in at this school that was purely an arts uh, college. Um, I was able to just do nothing but photography and painting until I reached all my credits and then got got a degree. Amazingly, um, uh, so and that was in 1997, 96, 97. Um, and that was, I mean, photography was it. That's, I mean, I was hooked on it. I still love painting, mm -hmm. um, but I took all that. Uh, I was quite excited. I was definitely recognized in the, in, the, in the school for photography. I won some awards and I got a great placement with one of the top five photographers working at the time in Chicago. Well, that's pretty cool. It was really, really good. His name was Francois Robert. And, uh, and I was, I was one you want to watch. Oh, he's a Swiss French man, fantastic, doing loads of big brand commercial shoots. Um, so straight away, I was thrown in there as a photographer's assistant. I was in the dark room. I was loading and unloading film. I was assisting the stylist. I was running around getting everybody lunch. It was it was amazing, and I stayed there for about a year and a half and did various other jobs, working around in Chicago and living, having fun. Um, but uh, but it was him who was a mentor, really. I recognized at the time, and we was he was quite. We had a great relationship. Uh, took a little bit of a sort of father figure and was always asking me, what do you want to do? What are you going to do? You got to do this. You got to do that. And I just said, you know what? The more I work for you with no offense, but the, the less I want to do what you do. What? Yeah. Well, I just, I was, I don't, this is a massive ladder to climb here. And at the time it was so male dominated as well. Um, and it was, so I just thought, no, this is, this isn't, I don't want to do that. And he really got to know me. We were quite open uh, and, and we had a great team of people working around us. And, you know, he was, you know, he had traveled the world and um, he had the most brilliant passport photograph. I remember it was like black and white. He was smoking a cigarette. It was just so, <laughs> it was from the movies, you know, from the yeah. 40s or 50s. Um, and he, he sat me down one day <clears throat> and I said, I need to get out of here. 
I'm gonna book a ticket to London and I'm gonna put a backpack on and I'm just gonna take my camera and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna photograph everything I see. Why London? And I'm gonna, ah, oh, that was the only thing I knew. I just thought I'm in Chicago, where's the next biggest city across the pond? It's London. I oh, just, wow. I mean, I knew nothing. I didn't have a passport. I'd never left the country. So I, it was great because he just said, right, go, just go. And he wrote me a check. Oh, he wrote me a check for a thousand, I think it was about a thousand pounds. And he said, just go. Now, mind you, I'd been working for him for about yeah. a year and a half for Coffee. about a tenner a day. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but he did. And it was it was that and a bit of savings. And I can't believe you. I just did it. Like I just I just did it. Um, but Lovely dude. I mean, like, thanks to him at the time. And you know? we stayed friends. And I, you know, in the first couple of years that I, well, I mean, so, I mean, then, you know, the story is really, I, I flew over, I landed, I roamed around with a camera for about three or four months. I met loads of people. I met uh, a man that I went on to, to marry and now divorced. But my life just started rolling and I never looked back and, and I never wanted to, never wanted to go back. So, um, yeah, I ended up just staying that that's kind of it but I did obviously in the first couple of years while I was wandering around Europe and different places doing different jobs um, I would take a trip back obviously to see my family I have a great family I love my mom and dad and my brother very much and uh, and when I would go back though you know I would it was great I would see Francois and he was like what are you doing how's it going <laughs> and stuff and you know he's still working away I mean he was he was great um, and uh, yeah so but I think there was just a combination of things that sort of sparked it and then and then I was off but like I said I never never looked back and spent most of my 20s wandering around uh, Asia in fact so before so I came second, to Scotland right? I was in Asia so you went to London mm -hmm. right you, you went around taking pictures in London for about 24 hours and I realized gosh this is really expensive here <laughs> I literally, I was there for 24 hours. I just wandered around for 24 hours and I got a train to Wales and I took a ferry over to Dublin. And then what? I lived on the streets in Ireland, traveling around between Dublin and Galway in the south for three weeks, just meeting um, various individuals who were living on the streets, homeless, a lot of people with drug and alcohol abuse issues and, and uh, a lot of people busking, a lot of people begging. Um, and I was just photographing and meeting people and when they didn't really have a place to stay and they would stay up all night and I didn't really wander into a hostel and I would stay all night. And it's, um, it was a very weird time actually. Um, right. I can't believe you, you just glance over that. I don't know you would say anything. So like how, so you, you came to London, right? That was your thing. Cause you said, okay, I'm going to go next. The, the next big thing is London. And then how do you go from London to say, okay, I'm going to get in a train, go to Wales and then go to Dublin. Is there something happened in particular? You were just Well, like, no, that's, it's a, yeah, I'm, perhaps I'm glossing over a few of these things and, and at my age now, my memory is not as good <laughs> unless I'm prompted. Um, I did land in London and there was a friend that I knew oh, from yeah. from home so she was living there with a boyfriend and uh, and we had a relationship that was good and bad but at the time it was good because she said yeah when you get over here here's my address and you know you can come stay with us I was in the house for about 
three hours and it was very uncomfortable and I she was sort of arguing with her boyfriend and I didn't I mean I was in massive culture shock I just had no idea where I was what was going on I didn't know anything and I think she looked at me like oh god I have to look after you I like you're asking me too many questions you know and she was quite an arrogant quite confident woman um, and I just thought I don't just I'm out of here I'm out of here I don't I don't need like I'm actually I'm on an adventure on my own so I don't even understand why I stopped at a friend's house I should have just gone straight off on my own so I mean I really just I just was like right thanks but no thanks and then just took off Um, and I think in a weird way and I don't know exactly what it what it was to be to be fair but in a weird way there was a guy who was a French guy who had a guitar who was really about the first person that I ended up seeing on the street playing music. And I mean, from St. Louis as well. And Chicago, okay, you know, but I'd never seen so many sort of buskers. I didn't see so much sort of activity, small villages, towns. I mean, you know, the fact that I've got Irish history and my father would always talk about Ireland. I mean, not that so he had there, ever... So there was a connection already when I you suppose, went. yeah. I mean, it was, it, was, it was in there, but it wasn't, it wasn't... I had no plan. It just sort of happened. But I do remember being in Ireland and feeling like, oh, this is, this is it. I can really, I can feel this in my history, which was a lot <laughs> of crap, actually. <laughs> That's completely... <laughs> but it was, it was funny because I... I, I uh, uh, yeah, I felt comfortable. It was, you know, I was like, oh, let's have a Guinness and just, I don't know, just go for let's it. Let's have but, a Guinness. I mean, I just, yeah, exactly. But to be fair, I mean, I was so unprepared for how much everything cost. And I had mm. never done anything like that on my own, so to speak. And I, and I, I, I'm a very organized person now. I was so, I've never been so whimsical. I've never been so unorganized. I, I, I think I had $800 uh, in my pocket and I just was absolutely determined to stay as long as possible. And of course I wasn't even, I mean, I was conscious, but semi-conscious of the visa situation as well. I was like, <laughs> what? I don't, you know. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, what do you mean? I can't work here. That's, I just knew nothing. <laughs> What's the worst is going to have to go exactly, keep me out. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but no, so the running around in Ireland, I mean, I did, I, I that was my, that was a big moment for me with photography though. Um, and of course it kind of wasn't until after the fact, of course I was developing all this medium format film um, and seeing some of the images that, that I got. Um, and I was lucky enough to show a series um, in Amsterdam and I sh- showed um, some of that work as well in Taiwan when I lived in Asia. Um, not in a serious way, but just just that I was able to get it developed and printed and put up large and really got a chance to look into those people's eyes that I spent quite a lot of time with and you know it wasn't pretty most of the time um but it was it was fascinating I mean you know I think it was I'm going to be a reportage photographer is that what you thought (laughs) that's it yeah I think that's what it was that was the word I mean like you did though damn you 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 did sleep did you sleep rough or were you Mm -hmm. yeah so you the best the best sleeping rough that happened in Ireland, which I have told my mom and dad this story. They think they think it's hilarious, but I had a backpack and I had a sleeping bag, 
and I had it, all my belongings on me. And I had my medium format camera, an old Rolleiflex camera with a strap that was always around my neck. And I had one of those passport cash money things like strapped to the inside of my, my shirt or my yeah. pants or whatever. And, uh, and uh, trousers, I should say. And, uh, and so we were wandering around the streets, this French guy who was with the guitar, he spoke no English. I had a little bit of high school French. I was trying to help him. It just I didn't know what I was doing, um, but one of the nights it, it, it was his, you know, let's just we can sleep in the field type mm -hmm. of thing. Thankfully, it was summertime. The weather was good. Um, and I was like, yeah, sleep in a field. Sure. This is a bit like camping without a tent, um, pitch black, wandering around outside Galway um, into the fields and rolled out the sleeping bags and fell asleep. I woke up. There's a commercial, I think, now where this happens. I woke up and there was just surrounded by cows. They were breathing <laughs> all over me, just dripping their saliva all over my sleeping bag and me. And I was laughing hysterically. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I didn't even know that there was such thing as a bull and a bull could hurt you or any, you know, I mean, it's just completely naive. So needless to say, it was quite funny. And we jumped up and rolled up our sleeping bags and decided to get away before a farmer would notice that we were just sleeping <laughs> in the field. Um, but other times, uh, other times it was a little bit, I mean, that was, that was kind of fun. That was a bit of an adventure, I suppose. Um, but other times there was, you know, I was, I was hanging out with people who, again, had very serious drug and alcohol addictions. And uh, there was some squats, there was a lot of squats at the time. So there was properties that I was going into for, for the night that were just sort of a bit of drug dens and things yeah. like this. Um, so needless to say, I never really slept soundly, but the adrenaline was intense and, you know, and I was drinking and enjoying myself with the rest of them. So Thomas, this must have been like the most craziest two weeks of your life. Three weeks. Three and weeks. it was, it really, it definitely was quite intense. The most intense moment was when I left my backpack with my camera in one of the squats in a room. And I don't remember, I really can't remember why or what happened, but I knew I need, then all of a sudden I needed to get back in. And there were people shooting up in there and they wouldn't let me back in. And all of a sudden it hit me that that's all my stuff. And it was very apparent that all of a sudden I, I, you know, I trusted everybody and everything. I just, you were like the most oh, naive person oh, in the world. You've never met a more naive person than I was at that time unbelievably naive and I just for the that moment and that was a that I got my stuff back and I walked out onto the street and I carried on hitchhiking I hitchhiked all around Ireland and I just hitchhiked away from that place and by I've never actually been time. back hmm? by yourself at that time yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I'm wondering what, how it would be now to go back there and just you know go around the same places you used to go around under the Spanish Arch and yeah. Galway, and you must, like, you know. I mean, I, I think I'll, I mean I'll have memories of certain places if I was to go back there, yeah. but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I love looking at the. There's three photographs in particular, one of a girl called Winnie, uh, one of a boy called Andrew, and one with two boys in it. One was Liam, and oh gosh, I'm blanking. I can't remember the other boy's name. But they were, the one of Adam, people comment on, it's a bit like 
a Christ picture. It's just the lighting on him, mm-hmm. and but he's holding a can of tenants or some <laughs> beer or something. But it's it's a very religious looking photograph, um, and he was definitely one of the hardest men I've ever come across. Wow. But we developed a bit of respect. I mean, mind you, these guys were not bothered that. Well, I was taking their photographs. It was very mm-hmm. inconspicuous. You know, they were, nothing was posed. Nothing was really that planned, but they were okay with it. They didn't, they didn't you, no, care. they never really, and this is, you know, pre-digital, so it was, It's know. one shot. Mm-hmm. I hope it's good. Sort yeah, of thing. exactly. We'll see you later. Yeah. I remember that boy, Liam, though, he was like, oh, you know, you, I can be a model. You want to make me famous and this kind of thing. It's like, oh God. Yeah, I did take names and addresses of, well, fa- a lot of them had family addresses or mm-hmm. a postcode or something. Um, obviously, most of them didn't, but I, I actually was looking through the old, uh, you just had like an address book, like a little yeah. tiny book that you just kept people's names and numbers and addresses in, and it's all written in there still. That's so, so insane. I mean, like, that's quite an experience. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the next stop was Madrid, Portugal. Um, so you hitchhiked I did a lot for Ireland, then you moved hit, down yeah, south. Hit, yeah, and then took the ferry over to France. Uh, took a train to Madrid, stayed in Madrid for a few days. I think decompression, <laughs> I don't know what it, you know, it was just me in Madrid and I stayed in a hostel and I just kind of wandered around. And I had a massive, massive urge to get to a beach. I just needed something a bit pretty. And I had a friend who said, if you're on the road in Europe and you just need paradise, go to Portugal, go to the Algarve, go to the south. And, and this was like, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, this was, ni- well, again, this is still, this is 97, I guess. Yeah. So that's before it became like so, such popular. Yeah, but it was, but it was, but it was incredibly touristy though. I mean, of we course, I landed yeah, yeah. in, I landed uh, in a little village called Lagos and I got off the train and I was met by a hundred Marias who were inviting me to their house and I went with one Maria to her house. And, uh, and I lived there, and, uh, and I just started wandering around the town. There was people, you know, running on the streets, lots of tourists, lots of young British, you know, people um, flyering, you know, handing out mm-hmm. flyers, you know, a cheap beer here or a two-for-one meal here or whatever. So come. it was already It, it was, was already touristy pretty place, touristy, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, so, and I met my now ex-husband there that night the first night I arrived wow. he flyered me said come come to this place I was like oh yes I will, <laughs> <laughs> I will you, be there. you work there excellent yeah and I remember sitting there and drinking and then he was living with a group of friends that were doing sort of agricultural work around Europe so they were going from working in a field for mm-hmm. a few months and then going traveling and working in a, you know mostly in Holland uh, working in the factories so they were spending the summer in in Portugal doing this kind of bar work, and uh, and I was like, oh, you're an interesting group of people. I'm gonna join in with you and hang out with you, um, and you know, I was falling in love, and I was yeah. young, and I was like, this is this is great. Really nice people from all over all over the place, and uh, yeah, and I didn't put down my camera or anything, but I thought I'm just gonna have a little holiday now, and uh, and then I started working under the table at the bar as well, and. One thing led to another, and it was by that time we were into sort of, oh, yeah, two or three months later. and You were still in Madrid at that time. 
Hmm? You were still not in Madrid, sorry. You were still in Portugal. Then, yeah, right? in Portugal. And uh, but this was then. It came to the end of the kind of summer season, mm -hmm. and and him and a group of people were all going back to Holland uh, to, to live. Work, yeah. yeah, do the agricultural work. And I was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm coming too. <laughs> wow. And that's when I got there, and I thought, oh well, I'll just get a job like you guys. And they went, no, this is work that you need, you know, like a visa for, yeah. or you need to, you know. And I was like, what? What's the visa? I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure I, I don't know, I don't need anything like that. So there was a bit of reality that hit me uh, and I did run off to travel around in Eastern Europe for a couple of weeks on my own again. Uh, so they went on, you went on, yeah. you couldn't work, so you just I went just off. went, no, that's it. I took a bus and, uh, and then just uh, was in Prague and Budapest, again, doing more photography, this time staying in a hostel, just really being on my own um, and exploring. And, uh, but then I got word, um, which was at that time you were calling collect from payphones, uh, that, uh, that Gabriel, the guy that I was with, uh, had found a, a houseboat in uh, just outside Amsterdam that was a squat. It was on a squatted canal with a bunch of people. And he was like, I've got a home for us. You can come come back here now. Ah. <laughs> and so I was like, great. And I took, I, I took a bus from Budapest to Amsterdam nonstop. I don't remember how long it took me, but it was days, days it took wow. me. Um, but I arrived there. I moved on to the boat. Obviously, it was rent free. The squat and uh, <laughs> and we just yeah and we started um, really really enjoying ourselves and I made lots of friends and we went uh, we went to lots of parties um, wow. Amsterdam Holland great place great people um, I got a job and actually this is a quite a good story because I did get a job working for a photographer in Amsterdam I got a job uh, as her personal black and white darkroom printer. But how I got the job is that I was obviously working under the table and I was a cleaner. And so I got a few homes in the nicer area around the village that we, we lived in and I was cleaning. And I thought, this is fine, this is great. And I was cleaning for this woman, nice house, nice woman. And they always sat you down and we always had lunch together, which was really nice actually. And she just looked at me and she just said, you're not a cleaner. <laughs> so how dare you? I've, I am doing my I'm, job here. Yes, I know how to iron and you know clean your blinds. I don't know. And she said, "Do you did you go to school? Yeah. What, did you do you have to go to college? Yeah. Do you have a degree? Yeah. Photography. Oh, are you good at photography? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, well, you're not cleaning my house anymore. But I'm gonna put you in touch with a friend. She's in Amsterdam. She's a photographer, and she needs help in the dark room. And I was like. Okay, that sounds <laughs> great. That. So awesome. I know. So we became great friends, uh, and and I traveled from the little village called Sparndam, just outside Harlem, where I was living, into Amsterdam, maybe once once or twice a week, uh, and just printed large format black and white prints for her for about a year, year a year and a half. Fantastic, really good. Of course, she just paid me cash, which was fine. Um, and uh, yeah, and again, really good friends, really good time spent, you know, the rest of it was just going back to this squatted canal with a bunch of people living in boats. Um, it was it was techno time. It was uh, it was it was party time and he had a great time. But um, I think it was it was coming up on to 
Maybe it was the end of, yeah, probably the end 98 or the end of 99, I guess. And I ended up, well, this was it. Gabriel, everybody we were with, uh, loads of people from Ireland, England, uh, Australia, um, everybody's just like, right, it's full moon party, it's Asia, it's Bangkok, that's, we're all going. Um, that's so. mental. Like, I can't even imagine doing it like that. It's <laughs> I, so mad. I, uh, like, I wish I did it. I wish I oh, did it. No, well, like, it would have been so much was, fun. But. Well, I mean, it was good times. It was tough times. It was everything. I mean, looking back on it, it's, it, it, it was fun. But it, I mean, I, I mean, creatively, I, there was massive points when we did get to Asia and I lived in Australia. And then I spent a lot of time, almost four and a half years in Taiwan, where I really struggled with not being in a place where I was secure enough to start and really be serious about a kind of career in so you didn't creative like industries. I mean, I was just, I was just life. I was just care, you know, carefree, careless at times. Um, but when they all went off and, and literally it was a bit like en masse when we arrived at the airport, mm -hmm. well, we partied before we left Holland. We partied on the way there. We arrived in the airport. Everybody shows up in all these hostels in, in Bangkok and you know you're walking up and down Koh San Road and we knew everybody it was mm. it was an insane wow. crazy super super fun time um, and it was just a non-stop party there but Gabriel and I with a few other people made our way through Southeast Asia and it was always the plan it was always the plan of everybody that I was with who was British because you could get a working visa in Australia that it they we'd always go to Sydney and start working so again I was just tagging along and again I got to Sydney and everybody started working and I was like what I can't work here either what is this <laughs> <laughs> why I why? want to work I don't get it yeah so um what did you do after you realized that you couldn't work in Sydney well I employed this fantastic uh skill that I had acquired which was find a place to work that's quite happy to pay you cash. <laughs> <laughs> this and in new fact, yeah, superpower. yeah, it's this new superpower. Um, and, uh, and leave the country and come back in so you get your tourist visa renewed as often as, as necessary. Um, but we, a group of us landed in, in Bondi Beach. Again, if you're going to go, why not go to the, the most popular place? Um, and it was crazy and expensive. It was very different. I had a I wasn't very keen on on Australia and Sydney and all this. It was just a different world coming from living in a houseboat in a squatted canal and running around Asia, which was a fantastic culture shock. I mean, I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, but uh, everybody just started working quite quite good jobs, really. They were in call centers and and you know it was compared nine to, like, to five yeah, yeah. exactly they compared was like, like you know a few like... people work in construction but um but i just got bar work cafe work bar work i actually found a one-hour photo lab that was quite happy to pay me under the table Good. so i was doing photography again um working in that that one-hour photo lab amazing what people will photograph and send to a one-hour photo lab yeah Eye-opening, eye-opening ah. to say the least. Oh my God! <laughs> and then it's just um, when they come to collect the film, uh, the print. So wait, wait, no, oh, I'm gonna I mean, have these, to ask. these are great stories, but you know, when you're just waiting, who is this person that is going to come collect? So tell me, this tell print? me, what's the weirdest I, thing you had to develop? Thankfully, 
the weirdest thing, again, that I can really jog my memory and, and remember though, was women taking porn shots of themselves, basically. And you, I mean, it was, wow. they were very much taking the photographs themselves on very bad, almost like disposable cameras, you know, the plastic yeah. kind of 35 mil thing. I mean, just really, and you would just obviously print them and look through every picture and you put it in a little envelope, you don't say anything and they come to collect them and you just go here okay. and they go, thank you. And I go, oh, okay. I know a lot about you now that I didn't necessarily need to know. Oh my God. But it was unbelievable. I mean, I was such a diehard, you know, um, analog photography developing, mm -hmm. processing person. You get people in one hour labs. It was just like, but why is it so dark? And I'm like, oh, that's because you don't know how to use a camera, you know, and, <laughs> but why is it so light? Make it, make, it's your problem. You're printing it wrong. I'm like, your negatives are bad. You know, anyway, this is, this went on. Mm -hmm. um, but I would move from there, sort of nine to five type thing, to a restaurant, to a bar. I mean, it costs so much money. Um, it, we were, we had done, we had uh, rented um, an apartment with, I mean, as many people as we could squeeze in. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, it was a funny time. I mean, it was a cool time because, you know, it was a, it's a Bondi beach, you know, I mean, everybody's, and there was so many tourists and people hanging out and we were going to bars and it just, I guess we were back in the Western world in that, in that sense. Um, but Gabriel and I, and the people that we were with, I mean, straight away, it was just like, this place is just, I mean, it's draining us. I was for every, you know, um, bit of cash I was getting, it was, it was just going out twice as fast. And, you know, that idea where we're like, I can't really even afford to eat you know this is not working very well um and we were like we're here to party so this is you know and a friend had gone to taiwan now we knew a bit about teaching english abroad people you know uh doing this but he got back in touch with us and said i'm in taiwan just get on a plane and get over here i'm in the south i'm in a little tiny village called tainan um i'm about one of ten white people here um, and everyone's desperate to learn English. Uh, and they don't care, you don't need a TEFL, you don't need anything. Uh, just get here and they're paying really high wages. Um, so we were like, oh, that sounds perfect. So uh, we did, we jumped on a plane, we went there, we went from Taipei, never even stayed, I stayed one night in Taipei, straight down to this, this um, small city called Tainan, and uh, met a bunch of foreigners, um, all working, all teaching English, uh, all had their local bar with their Taiwanese woman who was happy to serve all these crazy drunk uh, uh, Westerners. And uh, and we just set up a little community and I started teaching English, which was the worst thing in the entire world. Um, I, Not bad. I, oh, I was just awful. My first experience was entering a room of like preschool, like, you know, primary one. I mean, at this point, not much had ever made me cry. Those little shits, <laughs> and a whole room of them, made me feel this big, tiny, just tiny. I was, why aren't you not listening to me? You know, <laughs> say A for Apple. <laughs> it's just awful. Um, and uh, and although at the time, in, in a strange way, I was kind of one of the more employable Westerners there to teach English because I was a woman and I was white and I was American. I ticked all those boxes. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up 
working much better with people who had some foundation in, in English, um, which meant sort of high school level and above. And lots of very wealthy people were quite happy to pay me a very nice hourly wage to come and teach English right, okay, that's privately, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a bit like babysitting at the end of the day, really. Um, there was a bit of English teaching, but it was always conversation. So I, I ended up finding a, a niche there um, where I could um, where I could teach English to you know the conversational type English uh, either in after school programs or, or privately and we all had a very 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 high quality of life there Man. I as well got a working visa because I was American and Yay. Taiwanese people like Americans so finally finally I was legal which was um, which definitely had a big effect you know I was just like okay I'm here I can stay here I'm, I'm equal like with everyone else finally I can I can actually get paid normally yeah Yay. exactly and I mean we were paid well um, a lot of there was a lot of Canadians there who were there paying off their student loans there was a lot of foreigners there with big debts and I think the most I worked in a week was about 20 hours. Wow. Um, you were making like And we time. rode motorcycles. I had a motorcycle. I had two scooters. We lived wow. in a high rise. Um, we went out to eat in restaurants every single night. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it was a great quality of life. It was a very, very different culture to be in. But we created this strange sort of expat bubble in this very small town where, um, yeah, we were kind of we felt a bit raw. I'd, I'd have to say, and I'm sure people would agree, at times we did feel a bit untouchable, like a bit of rock wow. star there. And and I would say that we, I think we, I think I probably partied there harder than I'd ever partied wow. in my life, which is a funny place what to a funny place to be. Um, but I, I'd say that they reached a point where, and I was with people who were quite creative as well, or they they had creative outlets, musicians, again, people who were interested in doing graphic design again at the yeah. time, you know, um, I was doing photography. So you were still doing photography on exactly. the side so while was, you were doing all this? Yeah, of course, I again, I still always had my camera with me. Um, and, and I met a few people, um, some local galleries, and, um, and I did a lot of painting. I went back to painting, actually. Again, I had time on my hands and, I could go to the, you know, everything was very, very, very cheap in Taiwan at the time. And I could buy all the paints I wanted, all the canvases I wanted, set up a, I mean, we lived in a five story, you know, 10 room, like high rise condo type thing. Um, and there was like only three or four of us or something. It was, I mean, it was crazy. I think our rent was about $80 a month or something silly. So I set up a studio, I did a lot of painting, had some painting shows, did photography, was processing film there again, mm -hmm. developing, uh, and and had some shows there. You know, just incredibly grassroots, incredibly fun, wonderful. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there was just that point where, and I remember specifically, I don't know how this is the case, but you remember Face Magazine? No. So there was a British magazine called Face that was definitely arts and culture. It was mm -hmm. very hip, I would say it was, yeah, I, I, there was Vice magazine, but that came after. So it was just along this. It was just um, Brit pop and stuff like this. Um, but I remember people were getting copies of that, and I was flipping through it, and I was like, "We're missing out. We're missing out. We need to get back to the West." I just I didn't want to go back to America, but I felt very much part of um, strangely British culture. Although I hadn't, at this point not really lived in mm -hmm. Britain. Um, 
but I thought we need to come on we all need to get to London again we've got a big group here we're all creative you know we're missing out you know there's music there's culture there's and we were we were creating that sort of micro community of arts and culture there because we had time we had money we had the run of the place in a strange way you know mm -hmm. um, and we were creating that so people were really honing in on their talents I mean there was bad people formed bands and did gigs and bars and and people were writing and people were um, you know making books and you know lots of different things but I just thought no it's just it's not here and there was that crossroads where it was just if I stay here any longer I need to really get involved I need my Mandarin to be fluent I need to we need to get a kind of more secure job. Like we're I need saying, to. If we're staying here, we're staying here. We're, staying, we're doing yeah. it properly. Yeah. Like, so we're and not I had, and again, I had a run-in with with issues with um, just being a woman. There was quite challenging. Um, I mean, I love Taiwanese people so much. We had such a, I mean, wonderful, wonderful feelings, wonderful community, everything. But there was that point where I just thought I can't buy into this whole thing. It's not me, and either I stay or I go. And if I stay, I have to buy into this or I go and and that's it and I went and Gabriel and I left more or less together although not necessarily at the same time but together we said right it's Britain it's Brighton that's creative or Edinburgh that's creative and we've got some friends there and it was literally those two places of which I'd never been before and it, we chose Edinburgh and that was 2003 and that was 2003 we landed we got married mm-hmm I was like, yes, I'm legal here now. Yeah. I'm still continuing to be legal. This is a good thing. I'm on the right path. Um, and and yeah, we landed here together. We we, we got married. I, I remember I phoned. <laughs> we got married and I phoned, like, I think it was the American Embassy. I think it was the American Embassy. I think I phoned and went, hi, I just got married. <laughs> I want to work. I'm legal now. I was so excited. They were like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> well like, done. what do I need Click. to do? What do I need to do? It's like, just how to change my name. I mean, it was so exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I, how do I, I guess, sign my new name and make all these things. And I'm now, you know, on my way to gaining citizenship, which at the end of the day, we, we did divorce uh, only about a year and a half later. Um, but I stayed on that path. And I think it was four years and a ridiculous amount of money um, later but about two grand in yeah I think it was about yeah it was even yeah, more than that I think um, fun but it was yeah it was indefinite leave to remain finally citizenship and the ceremony and the thistle and yeah. I so just, you have a British yeah. passport I have two passports yes passport, yeah. yes yes I have two passports now and and that was um, I think it was 2004 five um, mm -hmm. I was actually incredibly excited to go to a job center <laughs> I can go in Said and I can say <laughs> I could say help me find a job I have qualifications mm -hmm. like help me this is exciting um, I had never you know I mean again most of my adulthood it was spent in America I just worked in bars and restaurants and that was it you know mm -hmm. and most of that was even cash in hand didn't need to be but it was it was tips so it was cash yeah. um, so and I remember and the woman said right you degree in photography I thought okay here we go we're gonna get a photography job here I was like, you know my husband at the time was like you know good luck with that I mean I don't, mm -hmm. you know they phoned me up and they said we've got this company they're called venture photographs studio family portrait photography and they need a photographer and they're on the cutting edge they do this really interesting technique mm -hmm. you got an interview and I went, Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and I got the job 
and I lasted nine months and it ripped the heart and soul out of yeah. <laughs> everything that I stood for with photography. It was digital. They were digital cameras, which mm -hmm. I hadn't touched. Um, it was, you know, it was sales. It was just, oh, it was just awful, awful, <laughs> awful experience. But they were cutting edge though. Not for me, but <laughs> it was, uh, I didn't last long there. But it did show me right away that if I if I am going to get serious about photography for me in the arts in Edinburgh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I need to start digging here. I'm I'm supposedly settling here. I'm supposedly yeah. in this in this zone here. And and uh, so a friend of mine uh, again, um, Mark, who lived here, said you've got to go to this photography gallery on Coburn Street called Stills. Go in there. I said great. Um, and even anybody who works at Stills now or whatever, they've heard this story. So I went in there and I walked up to the front. At the time, there was actually a reception at the front. And I walked in and I said, hi. And people looked at me and they're like, hi. And I said, well, you have uh, dark rooms, I hear. Like, yeah. I said, um, well, great. Um, I'm a photographer and uh, I, I want... I, I, I want to use them. I want, what do I do? And they were so snobby. <laughs> they just looked me up and down, gave me a flyer or something, had no time to show me around. I mean, not a smile. I mean, I just was like, okay, that, I, no, okay, this maybe isn't for me. I literally turned around and just walked out with my my excitement crushed my feeling about photography and galleries crushed or i guess in a weird weird way it was actually like quite gallery it was a you know uh. that very hard threshold to come across not a very welcoming environment can be very uh you know exclusive and yeah. and, and pretentious and uh yeah well that's not for me and i think it was it was well time passed essentially I told my friend I that place is ridiculous um, but that's why I think that's that could have been oh the timelines now are be a bit crazy here I, the memory is going again but mm -hmm. um, but I did find out that they were actually um, you could volunteer at stills yeah so one thing led to another and I don't remember if they sort of said oh you gotta just give another go or whatever yeah. or whatever you went back anyway I went back and I applied as a volunteer, yeah. and I got the position. You really wanted that dark room. I wanted access to those facilities, yeah. which for me, I was like, this is fantastic. I can't believe, why, is, why aren't there queues out the door at a place like this? So I, I, I got the position, voluntary position, uh, and I started working you know, two or three afternoons a week or something like that. And I mean, I was everything from cleaning the toilets to, to answering the phones. But I said at that moment, when I got in and I found out how it ran, and I was part of that team of volunteers, and I was on front of house, I thought, I am never going to be that person that I met. I'm going to be the exact opposite. Every single person who walks in yeah. here is going to get a warm welcome. And I'm going to be enthusiastic about everything that we do here. And I'm going to be like, open arms, come yeah. in, come in, get excited. And it's, and it's brilliant because I think I behave that way. I think, uh, I think people around me were behaving that way. I think it has its challenges, uh, which I got to know inside and out over the seven years that I ended up working there. Because like um, you, you got there as a volunteer. Yeah. But then you actually ended up getting a job there yeah well there was a point where I remember the girl who was called the resource manager Rachel at the time she sat me down and she thought she went you're 
you're not like the rest of the volunteers. <laughs> Mind you, I was older than them. I mean, yeah. I was 32 at the time or 33 or something. And, uh, and she said, I feel like we need to pay you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, this is great. And she said, I mean, something like, I don't know, it was maybe five pounds an hour, yeah. seven pounds an hour. Which is the, was probably the minimum wage. Yeah, at the time, and right? I said, great, yeah. So Please do. <laughs> there, the, she started paying me, and also I think that as well was the, we can count on her actually showing yeah. up. You know, I mean, I did, of course, I showed up, but other people didn't, and the nature of volunteering, you never know. So, um, so, yeah. So they had me in. They got me in with that, and then there was, there was a position that came up. Um, and at the time, there was a lot of other volunteers and people working, and I was making great friends, great community, and there was a guy called John Morrison. So John and I decided that we both didn't want to actually... Wait a second. There's a guy called John Morrison. What does he do now? He works at Napier. Oh! Hi, John. How are <laughs> you doing, John? man? <laughs> I can't believe John was my Honors Project supervisor. Oh. Lovely, John is a fantastic, man. fantastic individual, lovely incredibly man. talented, oh. was just a very, yeah, a wonderful soul to me That's over amazing. that time there. So we were, we were buddies and we both didn't want, we were both quite serious about, I mean, I was really getting back into photography and stuff and I was doing assisting other photographers locally around town and stuff and wanted to do my own work and I was very serious about it. I, I had one or two shows here and... We both didn't want that full-time job, you know. Um, so we did a job share. That was fantastic. So you know, we were we were the yin and yang of this role, and that's awesome. It was great. It was great. Um, and we did that for a while, actually. And then you know, roles shifted, funding shifted, things changed. Um, John moved on. Um, there's a few other people there at the time. I mean, I could name loads of names. Um, and uh, but then I I just I sort of stayed. I. I reached that point, which I have reached at other moments in my life where I found out I was quite good at managing artists <laughs> and not really that good at being an artist. <laughs> so as much as I wanted to be that person, um, I really felt, found, uh, an, uh, you know, I found myself in a managerial role. And I found myself really happy in that role. I found myself doing what I thought was a pretty good job. Um, and people liked me and it it just felt right. So I let go of that desire at the time to be a famous photographer and blah de blah de blah de blah. And uh and I just I really I did. I was I was a manager in various I was a resource manager, a development manager. We had all kinds of names that would come up with different funding <laughs> applications and projects. Uh, and, and, and stayed there right up until, I think it was 2011 or 12. Um, and it was the most special place to me in the whole world. We had such a fantastic uh, team of people that were you know, coming and going. I mean, every, every member of Stills, every artist, that just everything it was great. It was a really good time. I mean, probably as a real, big impact on why although lots of things changed obviously I divorced I was moving around um, I was at the time feeling like you know people said to me when I got divorced it was like oh are you going home so what where's this is home, home. yeah I think I think I'm going to make this my home you know and then there was a determination to do that and stills was a real um, solid base at a time that was probably quite turbulent um, and uh, and so it was really special. Um, and it was just it was a strange time when I actually did leave. 
but it was sort of time to go you know you kind of feel like that um, but it's yeah it's a uh, it was great I mean it's such a resource in the city still is yeah um, still, absolutely still is, still is um, so um, but I think <laughs> as well and I'm sure anybody working throughout the creative industries at any point has probably reached that point where I couldn't pay my bills <laughs> anymore <laughs> and yeah. uh, and I wanted a little bit more out of everything so I always say I kind of I sold up uh, and I had a good friend who was working in a, a digital marketing agency a creative agency uh -huh. in the shore in Leith and uh, and I said oh you know just please get me some kind of job there <laughs> just <laughs> I don't know anything any about digital or I mean I, in fact I did I, I did that's a lie I mean I had I done a lot I'd done everything at stills and yeah. one of the things I really did hone in on was the marketing side of things and I was pretty gung-ho about Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff when it came out and us as an organization that had no money using all these free yeah. tools there to market and you know that said we just know so many people just still didn't know who we were it was unbelievable um, so uh, so I did actually land a job in that agency uh, running a, a new department again being more operational being a man manager mm -hmm. rather than a doer at the time um, and and I stayed in that agency for about five years. I saved a lot of money. It was great. <laughs> I had a great salary. I was really happy about that. I got the first thing you say about that job was like I had a great salary. Oh, I did. I did. And then I realized it wasn't all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> but those five years, though, like that was great. It was they were instrumental for you to save some money. So it like, was. Yeah. Well, it was. It was a way to sort of move on from stills and where I was in the public sector and try something completely different um, and it was I mean it was you know left and right it was completely different um, but it, there was there was only so long I think I was gonna last there because I mean I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing I was, <laughs> I was making it up as I went along and everybody around me will know that's quite true um, but Aww. it was no it was no it was it was it was great um, and obviously I, I did work I did work hard but it was never I couldn't sink my teeth into anything we were really doing it it just wasn't it just wasn't always there and and again in that I, I worked myself around and again became a bit more about events and a bit more about marketing and things yeah. like that but then uh, but then no I, I, I jumped ship and said okay I've got my feet down I've got some security yeah and I'm going freelance. <laughs> and that, uh, that was we've all been there. There's always two or that stuff. Years. I know like, there was that, like, that point. That's it. Yeah. Freelance time. It's freelance time. It's freelance time. And so here we are now. Exactly. Well, so that was the time for the Stitch Lounge, wasn't it? Oh well, the Stitch Lounge. So oh, I forgot about the Stitch Lounge. How dare I? The Stitch Lounge was. I started that while I was working at Stills. Before we started, like, what's the Stitch Lounge? Sorry. So the Stitch Lounge was a pop-up quite a trendy word at the time a pop-up weekend event uh, it was it, I had heard of things like you know like a hackathon show up on a Saturday everybody gets together you do some work right through to Sunday and you produce something so I got really into sewing I don't again left field but I got I thought I, I wanted so I knew nothing about fashion but I just wanted to sew um, my mom that's what it's from my mom and um, and I thought, well, this I, there's no sewing, you know. There's in America, there's these sewing pop-up cafes. It was all happening. I thought, I'm going to bring this to Edinburgh, and I started that little weekend pop-up, which was literally just a place to come together, 
have all the materials provided. I got Singer to sponsor it and all these beautiful machines. And we just got together at the time. That's um, pretty cool that you with, managed to get Singer to sponsor it. But I mean, sewing was just on that. You know, it was becoming a little bit trendy and they mm -hmm. were very keen to, to support projects okay. like this. Um, so that was it was it was much easier than I thought I actually had I, I contacted like four brands and they mm -hmm. were all fighting for they all really? wanted it and I thought well I know singer I know that brand I'll use that one that sounds mm -hmm. cool um, but it was Mark Daniels who was running in space at the time yes yes who was very keen on that as well he's certainly much more into fashion than I am it's very very he's a very smart gentleman yeah. um, and he said let's do it at InSpace, because of course I didn't have space to do this event. And together, I mean, he really, he he made that happen. Um, and we had it at InSpace, and we did that project together. And I think over the course of what was probably, um, I guess, four years. That's I, a I can't, time. I can't really, yeah, yeah, I can't remember exactly. But I think we had about five or six events. Um, no, maybe we had more than that. Um, oh, I'll have to actually, uh, remember but it was fun it was really good we did things like we had a men only weekend where it was mm -hmm. only men sewing that was fantastic so um, we had uh, and we had all different we had people that were complete amateurs never sewn a thing in their life mm -hmm. right up to some of the fashion students working with ECA they, they would come in um, and a couple of those so Emily Millie Chip she of was course, part yeah. of the Stitch Lounge who's, who's a very successful and That's funky fashion girl and uh, um, Jacob or Jakob Burge yeah. who's a one he won Polish um, uh, it was the fashion catwalk thing um, uh, project runway yeah he run he was the winner in Poland uh, he's now a very famous uh, fashion no designer yes exactly but um, yeah we had lot I mean we had lots of people um, come in and out of that at very different stages of their uh, their work and it was just fun we had a load of fun we had it was great um, but it was just I guess for me selfishly I was testing in a way, I was testing the market locally to see if I could open up and run that as a business. Find a premises where I could have sewing lessons, open sewing, sewing workshops, have a little coffee shop in the corner, blah, 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 set that all up. And the more I did it, I think the more I realized I actually didn't want to do it. And I also thought this isn't going to be financially viable anyway. So what was the main reason was that because it wasn't financially viable or you thought it wasn't financially viable, viable because it just wasn't your thing at that end of the day? I think it was, it was such an opportunity for me to almost try out a business I mm -hmm. thought I really wanted to do. And through that, I, I decided I didn't want to do it. Okay. Um, and I think there was a number of factors involved in that. And I also stopped working at Stills and started working at the agency. So financially, I was a little bit back on track and I knew I couldn't do both those things at the same time. Well, because the agency so is probably was, more taxing than working yeah, at Stills. It was, it was, it was, um, yeah, it kind of, it became a weekend event. I mean, it was, it was super fun to organize. It was super fun to be there. Um, but for me to then wrap that up. And in fact, there were two girls at the time um, who joined the Stitch Lounge. And they had the same idea as me, and they were really great. The first time we met, they were they were like, "We are actually going to be honest with you. We're just spying on you because we want to run this as a business. We want to open up a sewing cafe." Yeah. And we became really good friends, and they did. They opened up a cafe, oh. and it was awesome. It was called Materialize. You're using the past tense, though. 
Is well, it, it didn't last. It didn't last oh, long. No. no, but it was really great. And I saw them and I was so inspired by them and I kind of wanted to still be them. But I was pretty wrapped up in the agency. They'd opened it up. Um, it ran for a while, um, but then it closed. But it was Damn. it was great. It was a great, cool little space to be in. Um, but even they together, I mean, they knew it was hard. It was definitely hard. Um, well, I think like it's the idea of opening a coffee shop, right? We all kind of like thought about it. The thing is, opening a coffee shop requires so much work, and it takes over the whole of your week, the weekends. You have no holidays. You can't really afford to hire people. Exactly. Not enough, at least, for you to just run away. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's a very taxing yeah. project business to have. Strangely, at the time, though, because there wasn't much money profit, I should say, there wasn't going to be much profit in uh, after everything involved yeah. in running some sewing classes are sewing workshops as well um, and the space was just so limited your rent everything everything but these successful spaces that I could sort of try to model a business off of that were running in San Francisco or other places in, in America or Canada they were much bigger spaces more warehouse style in cities and they were making a profit in the coffee little shop you know there were that was where the business mm -hmm. was actually having a, a turnover to yeah. you know so um, but that you know that came that came to a close, and it naturally, I mean, you know, in spaces changed. Marks moved on to different things, but I think it just you know we did it until that was, until that was it done. It. Yeah, it must have been quite a good school though, like a to learn more about events, to 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 like understand more um, on a business level. Oh yeah, know, oh I learned to run so something much. Like that, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It should be it should give you like a good background that's useful going forward. So yeah, so absolutely. Much, yeah. I mean, everything, everyone involved was so. Um, so now we're getting to the the meat at the very end of the podcast, which is like how, as an interior designer, right? <laughs> yeah. How did we go from? I know the the digital agency and the stitch lounge to becoming Carrie Susan interiors well I know um, I've had to ask myself that question quite a lot and in a way almost justify it to myself and there's two two things that I think that come into play here yes one is that I had bought a flat here in 2008 and I had ripped it apart and redid it all by myself and I loved it and it's quite unique and people have commented that it's it's pretty good yeah because you said you, design. you, you, are, you Airbnb it and of course and I Airbnb it now yeah. and it has been for for about four years now and it's quite successful on there and I get great great feedback uh, and and all the time people are saying your interior design your style so I was getting a bit like mm, you know and then various projects and the just the desire to oh I love interiors you know um, I wanted to learn about it people that I knew were like oh you should totally do that you know you're kind of already doing it you know you've done it in this flat you've done it to this friend's place that friend's place you know this is a thing you could do this so I found a course at or Edinburgh College and I thought, right, well, let me just try and do this a little bit more uh, cleverly. Uh, and I'll go take a year. Well, I was still working at the time. I was still doing everything. But I'll take a year and I'll just try and study this interior design, this beginning of architecture and see, see how I get on. 
And, and as I did that, which was fantastic for me, I felt like I was back at art school. It was amazing. I was just this luxury of just being in the space to draw again. I mean, it was, that was really important. Um, it really take you, took you on a ride yeah. all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, though. isn't it? I mean, well, that's, that's, I mean, to have a pencil in my hand and paper and just be drawing was, it was really, really good. That, that was important throughout that year when I was studying uh, and I was I was really I put a lot into it so I was getting quite a lot out of it um, I was asking myself how the hell can you justify yourself as an interior designer where is this coming from you know you don't know anything about this you've no background in architecture etc etc ironically my dad always wanted to be an architect he went back and did did architecture uh, courses at night school as a as an adult um, did he manage in the end he just he just finished a, a couple courses. I mean, okay. it was never a qualification, but he had his blueprints were always framed up on on uh, on on a wall, and uh, it was amazing. Um, there's something in there, obviously. Of course. Yeah. But um, but no, it was. I mean, it was that, and then I started to question my love for photography. Um, not question, I suppose. I tried to incorporate that, and I started to think about interiors in the sense that. It's a room, it's a space, it's a 3D version of the frame of a camera that I normally look through. Mm -hmm. So when I look through the lens of a camera, for me, the most important things that I ever honed in on were composition and color. And for me, I just looked into any physical space that I was standing in, and it was about composition, layout, and color. And all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's fine. I can justify this now. That makes sense. There is a background here. There is there is something because no, I didn't go to architecture school. I didn't go to interior design school for ages. It hasn't been something that I've been studying forever. But you know, I'm in my <coughs> 40s now. I'm gonna switch switch gear. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ship, go into the freelance world, and I'm not gonna go back into photography. I'm not gonna go into painting. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna become an interior designer. And I remember, I remember Chris, uh, my boyfriend, uh, now he said to me, I said, well, what, what do I need to do? He goes, you just get a business card <laughs> that says you're an interior designer. And when people ask you what you do, you say you're an interior designer and you hand out this card. And that's pretty much, that's, that's it. That's it. Uh, and so it was very simply put. And, and that's, that's simply what I've done. Really, and I'm—I have never learned more on the job than I'm learning right now. Um, so it's a—it's a roller coaster, um, but it's good. I'm—I'm I'm enjoying it. Wow! <laughs> it's funny because we're gonna end the podcast. So, like, <laughs> the main reason why we did the podcast <laughs> to hear about your interior design um, aspiration. So, what what are your plans going forward now? Well, um, that's a good question. I am really enjoying working as an interior designer. I'm enjoying being freelance. I'm, I'm really enjoying finding my way through what works in this industry for me and what doesn't. Um, and I'm pretty much giving it, uh, the effort is, is part-time. This is really, a, it's a part-time kind of role for me. Because as we mentioned before, um, I've got a flat that I run on Airbnb and I do everything myself and running the flat quite seriously and trying to get it 
full all the time. Um, it is a bit of a part, you know, hours wise, it's about part time. So I split my time between that flat. We also are now renting out our flat that we're in uh, at the weekends. Um, we've bought a motor home a year ago. And Which you guys did from scratch. When we basically. ripped it apart and put yeah. it back together. So we've got this to run around in. And so we've got our flat also on Airbnb at the weekends now. And so with that, you know, Really, I enjoy Airbnb so much. I enjoy being a host. Um, I like everything about it, and uh, and so I'm doing that. But I'm I'm running this interior design business uh, alongside that, and I'm trying to. The plan is to combine those two things in the future, and what ne what the next step is, and how who knows when and where this will happen. But we want to buy. Chris and I want to buy some land, and we want to uh, build our own house. Um, of which we are going to do very, very uh, cheap and quick with a nice <laughs> kit house. <laughs> but the idea is that we want to live somewhere in Scotland rurally where we will build a very humble uh, dwelling for us to live in. But the land we want to get is big enough so that we can actually start um, a holiday lit around us. So whether that is a campsite or yurts or bothies or a combination of, I want to sort of take the love that I have for being a host, like I do with Airbnb, and turn that into a proper long-term business. Um, and then, of course, with the interior design, Chris and I, and together, and you know, I want to design all of that and have yeah. a big input. But ultimately, I'd like to wrap it up, and the two of us are going. This is the retirement plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we that we run this that we run this uh, business um, uh, as as solely what we do together. Uh, and day in and day out. So it'll probably be the hardest I've ever worked when we get there, but I think it's gonna be the most rewarding because I think it'll be a little a little bit of everything. And he's a graphic designer, of course, I think he'll still be working freelance. Uh, and I, and I, the interior design work that I do right now, I mean, one of the, I offer a, a service as a, as a uh, consultant and advisor. So I charge an hourly rate um, to do consultancy. And I love that part of it. Um, I love going into people's houses and listening to the things that they love and don't love and what works and what doesn't work and giving just sort of advice on the spot and just uh, that's really quite fun and there's not many interior designers who are doing that who aren't associated with a, and now you must buy this from me after I've given you this consultation mm. so it's it's interesting and that's kind of fun and I hope that I'm able to make something more of that and that that is something that I can kind of carry on doing in this next phase but you know quite frankly uh, if we are running a successful business like this and a kind of holiday let moving into the hospitality and tourism sec uh, industry which will be another mm -hmm. industry to go into um, but that's I think that's going to be long term that'll be That'll be it. Yeah, it'll be but it. then, like, you can use your interior design skills to keep doing that. Like, you exactly. know, what have to if you decide to go for yurts or if you decide to go for little bothies, I mean, like, those will need to be designed, and like, those can be a exactly. challenge. Every single one. Oh, of those it, oh it'll be the biggest challenge. But exactly. then, like, it's also the case, that, like, you know, if the business is working and you're making money, maybe you decide why don't we buy a little cottage somewhere else so that we can do the app and rent out. So you, that can become a business in itself. And yeah. Exactly, exactly. And as we all know, I mean, tourism uh, isn't really going anywhere. Uh, it's yep. pretty popular and pretty steady in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, we certainly have uncertainties in the future, but 
at this point, um, it's a it's a pretty sure bet that people are always going to want to come to the Highlands. And uh, well, look, tourism never stops. I mean, yeah. like I'm yeah. from a place where like leaves. Like I don't think if there was no tourism, I don't think Italy would survive. To be honest, but yeah, um, like it doesn't matter. Whatever happens, people yeah. always want to yeah. come to the festival, I mean, to to Edinburgh, or to Scotland in general. Exactly, exactly. And I've learned. I mean, I've been hosting my flat on Airbnb for uh, four or five years now. Um, and because I do everything myself, and I'm still one of those people, I have friends who do it, who are like, I can't believe you still do that. But I, if I can, I meet my guests, I check them in, I talk to them, I really like it. And I've just, I get, I've really understood the patterns of people coming and traveling through Edinburgh and where they go and what they do. And, you know, so all that's like massive amount of research for data. if we are gonna go into this, then then I hopefully- Juicy data. Like <laughs> juicy data, Juicy, exactly, juicy data exactly. you have with all these travelers. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, that's that's what's next. But at the moment, um, yeah, I'm finding I'm finding this area of business and being freelance, um, you know, quite exciting. What well, is exciting? Indeed. It is exciting. Freedom, <laughs> freedom, <laughs> exactly. Which is not really because you're so, like you it's just so have. not. <laughs> you don't realize that then all of a sudden you're working twenty four seven. The whole idea. I mean, when I worked in an agency, it was like, you know, come on, it's five o'clock, five thirty. You know, you know, big, you know work-life balance, you know, turn off, you know, I never had my emails on my phone. I was like, that's, that's work. But now. Now it's always, <laughs> always on. You have so many little clients. So no, you have, you don't have one boss. Every client is your new boss. Exactly. So it's like every new client is a new boss. It's like, yeah. Yeah. oh, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, it's fun though. I mean, and it I love is. it. It's it, fun. Yeah, like, I mean, I, really, this is, I don't think I could go back. You know, <laughs> and once I'm now working yeah. for myself, uh, no matter what challenges it poses, I really, um, and I feel a bit, I feel, I do, I mean, we all work hard, but I, I, and I feel lucky and I do carry on working hard, but, um, and I hope in a way I don't, for financial reasons, eek, need to go uh, back into kind of a steady salary income type job um, because it would be a weird world to go back into, even though there's some parts of it I really go, oh God, so nice just to clock in and clock out but do you know in a way I and un I, I understand that sometimes I did think that uh, going back to a full-time job would be quite hard but also it really depends what job it is it exactly. really depends where it really depends the people you're working with yeah. I mean there's so many different variables like um, I think the freelance journey is great because you get to learn it's like an advanced course on how to run a business because you're basically running yourself as a business absolutely so like you learn so much you wouldn't learn otherwise because like what if you work for somebody and basically work lands on your desk is one thing but when you have to go out there and find work and be in a certain way and act in a certain way and work as hard as you can to find work it's just a different perspective on it is absolutely no i couldn't agree more it's not the same uh, like but I think the, the, the right job or the right people to work with, or maybe you start a business with somebody, who knows, mm. you might start an interior design studio one day. Yeah, So it's knows? like, who knows? But like, I think there is there are alternatives, and I'm pretty sure the nine to five is gonna change, because it's not an effective way of working anymore. Well, that's very interesting, and, and I, yeah, again, I, I see that happening right now, because um, I've got, uh, although, um, I've not necessarily marketed myself, and Edinburgh is such a wonder, wonderful city for that. I mean, there's so many networks, and there's so many communities, Amazing. and 
you know, there's a support group there and, and it's word of mouth. I mean, it, it's small enough, you know, so I've gone from here to there to there to there and bouncing between people's recommendations, but I'm doing a few offices, quite a few offices. And so I'm, as an interior designer, back in the office, mm -hmm. but very much concerned with how people work and how yeah. people function in that space. And it's very, it's changing dramatically and we'll see it change, I think, you know, even more than we can imagine over the next couple of years. It'll move quickly into a much more flexible environment. I mean, I'm creating a, a, a meeting room in an office just now that, you know, the brief is a nice, chill, relaxed place for two people to have a conversation and half of it should be for yoga. <laughs> it's like this is great. Um, so um, it's it's gonna it's it's definitely gonna change a lot. Um, but the yeah, I mean, for me though, in all the jobs I've had overall my many years, and this has been literally everything. For me, hands down, the most important thing is the people you're around, the people yeah, you work with. One hundred percent. Make any job, yeah, bearable if it needs to be, or just wonderful because, yeah. you know. I mean, like that's the thing I like about freelancing is knowing people, new people all the time, yeah. collaborating yeah. with your clients. I yeah. mean, like, uh, I just love that aspect of the job so much. But also, like, if you're a business and your people are leaving the business, the good ones, or even the bad ones, like everybody leaving businesses to go freelance, it's because there is a market there. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. when once as a business you are competing with that, that's when you need to, you know, you need to step up. You, need to, you need to figure out ways for people that they're not staying just because they're paying the mortgage or they have yeah. bills, yeah. but yeah. because they like their job. Yeah, I mean, there's like, going to be a, there's a, definitely a shift happening in that right now, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to yeah. take decades, but I think there is a, there is a slow, it's a slow turner, but like yeah. it, it's happening. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, we can see it in little pockets here and yeah. there for sure, for sure. Carrie, thank you, that's it. Oh, We're going to get kicked out very soon. So. <laughs> Uh, very soon. So thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank and you for having me. Thank you for taking me on an incredible <laughs> ride through from the US to London, briefly, to Ireland <laughs> for three weeks of sleeping rough and taking pictures. And then for taking me to Australia and Taiwan and then back to Edinburgh. It was an incredible journey. Like that, that's what I like doing this podcast because I, I learned things from people that I never, yeah. I would have well, never expected. Well, thank you for taking me back to all those places <laughs> over the past, you know, what, uh, 25 years. Do you know, I, I don't want think to see those pictures. Oh, do you know it's made the me want to dig ones. them out, actually? I want to see those pictures. I will show you be, those pictures. Please, please, yeah. I'll come and see you in the office. I'm going to show you the pictures for those three pictures I mentioned from Ireland. I'd like to actually have those out again. Please, so, yeah. um, the whole lot. I want to see the whole <laughs> lot. Because like, you must have gone through so much emotionally. It must have come through your pictures. I think I think it did, yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, oh, thank we'll you very see. much again for coming thank in. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Yes, Have thank a, you for listening. Yes. <laughs> to be <laughs> ramble <laughs> on. Well, I anybody who knows me, end. that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look, I hope you have a great day and that's it. 